0: 1st Peter chapter 2 1st Peter chapter 2 to give you a little context of what's taking place in 1st Peter chapter 2 Peter is writing to his to scattered Christians Jewish believers all over Asia who are in the midst of persecution because of the spread of the gospel he wrote the letter in response to the growing opposition to believers at that time hostility and suspicion was rising against the Christians and they were being reviled and abused for how they lived, and because of their talk about another kingdom. What what, what did Jesus come to do? He came to talk about the kingdom of, of, of the Father, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. So these Jewish believers who had become Christians, they're all over scattered in Asia because they're being persecuted, because they're not talking about the Roman Empire. They're not talking about the Roman kingdom. They're talking about the kingdom of God, right? So they're being reviled against. And Christianity at this point had not yet been banned by the roman government not officially at least but the stage was being set for the persecution of the church and the martyrdom of the near future it was being set because as you guys know that that all of the disciples and, and early church started to get beheaded and tortured and killed right and peter in his purpose in the letter is to encourage them and encourage us amid the persecution is to encourage them, is to encourage us, and he's going to say this: that persecution can either cause growth or bitterness in the life of a believer. I'm going to say that again: that persecution can either cause growth or bitterness in the life of a believer. Your response, my response, will determine the result. How we respond to persecution will determine whether we will grow or whether or, or whether we're going to grow bitter, right, amid the persecution. First Peter chapter one verse seven. He says this, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, Peter says, if be you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, to honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he telling us here? God often allows us to grieve by various trials that come in form of persecutions that we don't like. But God will often allow them, if fit, for our life. What does Peter say? If need be. If God sees it fit to allow me and you to go through persecution, to allow us to go through grieveness, then God will allow it to happen. He says, if need be. And what will God do? He will accomplish his purpose in our life, and in doing so, he will get the glory. He will get the glory, and although we do not we do not experience this type of persecution that the church that was scattered in Asia was right, torture by the government and, and and being incarcerated, and then soon after that, uh, martyrdom. Although we do not experience that, it does very much exist in different parts of the world. Very much in China, communism. You can't. You have to sneak Bibles in, or you're being a felon. You get arrested right, in Iran, Afghanistan, the Middle East. You can't be a Christian like the privilege that we have here in our country, right? And as mentioned this Sunday, if you were, we may not see it to this degree, the persecution, but our even our pastor mentioned this Sunday, right, of a church, a Calvary Chapel in a County, that uh, that they were given restraining orders, and if they were to meet, the first thousand people show up, including the pastor, were to receive misdemeanors. Anna fine. so we're experiencing persecution maybe to that not, not that extent as we read uh with the scattered church in asia the first church but we definitely experience it. you very much have experienced your life at home with your family maybe even in the workplace discrimination because you say that you have to leave they have to get to church guess what that causes at work or guess what that causes with family. When gather and 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 do have these gatherings that involve things that don't please God here comes the persecution and His purpose in writing to them and in writing to us tonight is to encourage us is to encourage them to conduct themselves courageously conduct yourselves courageously for the person and the purpose for the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ both right I'm conducting myself courageous for Jesus. What's the purpose that he has called me to do? I must conduct myself courageously. In other words, don't bend to the persecution. Don't bend your convictions to the persecution. Right? Their character and our character, this is the purpose of why Peter is writing. Their character amid the persecution, your and my character amid the persecution must be above reproach. That's the title of tonight, if you write notes, Above Reproach. It's an expression. What does it mean to be above reproach? Or what does it mean? What does the word reproach mean? It means an expression of disapproval or disappointment. So mine and your Christian life amid the persecution should be above an expression of disapproval or disappointment. What does that mean? How does that look like? I'm discriminated. I'm persecuted at work or by family, whoever it is. And then you look at my life, and guess what? There is disapproval. There is disappointment. You fell at the moment of persecution. No, no, no. Peter says, No, amid the persecution, our character and our conduct must be above disapproval, above disappointment, above reproach. It must be above reproach. And it's very easy, very easy, right? Amid the persecution, amid the trials, for us to Use that as an excuse amid the discouragement and disappointments. And this is what Peter says, that discouragements and disappointments are not an excuse to disobedience. They're not an excuse to blow your character and to blow your witness, right? It must be above reproach. Having been born again, they, that church scattered over Asia, us, having been born again, we are to imitate Christ who has first called us. We are to imitate Christ who has first called us. And you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels and taken to the cross. And how he acted and conducted his character, his conduct, his manner of life amid the persecution. above that, That's what Christian means. We are to follow Christ. We are to be Christ-like. Therefore, our character and conduct amid the persecution must be above reproach. And, and, and Peter is going to deal with the issue of suffering in the book of Peter. And Christians, Christians are not to think it strange when they go through various trials. Have you ever thought this is strange? I keep going through trials and trials. It must mean that you're a Christian. It says in First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad. With exceedingly joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is being blasphemed, but on your part, he is being glorified. I have to ask myself, is that true in my life? When I am reproached, whether it's at work, whether it's eventually, if it's by the government, if it's by family, whoever it is from, when you are reproached, when you are persecuted, christ yes he's being blasphemed on their side but is he truly glorified is he truly being glorified on your end amid the persecution our character is the message tonight is what peter is wanting to encourage us in above disappointment above disapproval have you ever been in a moment of trial of persecution we've all been there whether it's a brother or sister in Christ or a family member, and they come up to you and they say, hey, "You blew your witness. You blew it. Disappointment. There's disapproval now. You blew it." Here, what Peter is saying: Hey, we allow that to happen. disappointments, the discouragement. That it is, it is not disobedience. It's not, because we, if we are to be glory to God amid the persecution and grow as opposed to get bitter then Peter is going to tell us three things then we are to do three things we're going to go through verses 1 through 12 and in those 12 verses he's going to say this if you take notes these are the three points for tonight the title is we are to live above reproach above reproach and then Peter says you are to do three things want to amid the persecution grow and bring glory to God you must first we are to lay aside We are to lay aside. Secondly, we are to come to him. We are to. And lastly, we are to proclaim. We are to proclaim. Go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you, God, so much for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your word, God, because it's living. It's powerful. God, is sharper in any two-edged sword, and we ask that tonight, that it would take a permanent place, impact in our hearts, or that we, would, we wouldn't we would leave this place, Lord, the same as we got here, that we would have let your word take seed in our hearts, God, and as we leave this place, God, that there would be fruit, evidence, Lord, of repentance and salvation. Thank you for your word, God. We ask that it would speak loudly in your name that we pray, amen. So the first point we are to lay aside lay aside verse one says "says this second peter i'm sorry first peter first peter chapter two therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby we were here two weeks ago for communion sunday our pastor spoke on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The first point that he gave us was that we are to lay aside, as the author of Hebrews Paul. Here we have a different author, but the same heartbeat, we are to lay aside. And and what and he starts off in, in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2 with the word therefore, meaning in light of. And in light of what? Well, if you look at verse 23 of chapter 1, he says, Having been born again, not of of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible corruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever meaning church you're scattered in Asia you're going through persecution church here tonight in a you have been born again not by incorruptible seed right oh, I'm sorry not by corruptible but of incorruptible seed and because you have been born again therefore in light of this we are to lay aside and Peter's going to call the church now as we read in the first two verses he's going to call the church to be blameless And pure to lay aside weight and sin. Read two weeks ago uh, with our pastor, Hebrews 12, verse 1. therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. us, And let us run with endurance the race that is before us. If we are, if you guys remember in, in chapter 12, verse 1, The purpose of laying aside weight, the purpose of laying aside sin, is that we would run at maximum capacity, just as an athlete, that we would run with endurance, right? And if we are to run at maximum capacity and with endurance, we must lay aside weight, we must lay aside sin. In like manner, in the book of Peter, if we are going to run in such a way that will please God amid persecution, we must lay aside. We must lay aside. And what are we going to lay aside? He says laying aside all malice. Malice is a desire to inflict injury. Have you ever looked at someone, man, I just want to hurt them? Right? Hurt that person. Desire to inflict injury or harm or suffering to one another. Have you done that verbally? I'm going to say this to make them suffer. I'm going to say this to make them hurt. Malice is to have evil intent against someone, whether verbally or physically. As believers, Peter is saying you are to lay aside the desire of evil intent, this desire to harm, this desire to cause suffering among someone else. And he says, What else? They are to lay aside malice and all deceit. Not some deceit. All. Well, I'm not lying too much. Well, it's not really gossip, no, no. no. He says you are to lay aside all deceit what does it mean to be deceitful to lie to trick it would also mean to distort the truth in order to mislead You distorted the truth before in order to mislead different way lay it aside lay aside deceit then he says what hypocrisy In it's original context I, I, to be a hypocrite and someone who in roman a uh, theaters would put on different faces to play different roles in a drama or a play. Right? A hypocrite literally means a man of many faces. If that doesn't make sense, how many times have we come to church? We put on church, we go back to work, go home, and we put on a different face. Now I can speak. Not be a man or a woman of many faces. Hypocrite. Right? Lay it aside. Lay aside also what? Envy. Love of self. Is the pleasure of self rather than the pleasure or the love of God in our lives. Then he says, what? We are to lay aside all evil speaking. Not some, all evil speaking. The gossip, right? And we all find ourselves in knowing. He says, laid aside. It should not exist. Amongst the body of Christ, especially in the times that you're living, scattered church in Asia, amid the persecution, now more than ever, lay aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Put it away. Put it away. Right? And then what happens here in verse 2? Uh, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow there- thereby. Verse 3 If indeed you have tasted that the Lord. Is gracious. We're going to see that here Peter compares the word of God to pure milk. What does he say in verse 2? As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. What happens with the baby and infant, right? That their desire for milk is a natural instinct. The desire for milk is a natural instinct for a newborn baby, as the desire for the word of God should be a natural instinct. That's what Peter is saying. You don't have to remind or even force a baby to drink milk. They'll let you know. Right? They'll let you know all night till they get the, they, until they get their milk. Right? If you're a parent or if you have a newborn or have had one, you remember that, you know that. Right? It's their natural instinct. You don't have to teach them to drink milk. They want that. Right? As an infant, as a baby, they, they continuously want milk. You can't give them substance. Until what? They grow. Until they start to grow up. Until they start to mature. But in like manner, as they have a natural instinct to drink milk, so for me and you, for the believer, it should be our natural instinct to desire what, Peter says, of the Word of God. Of the Word of God. Is this a natural instinct? Is this our natural instinct? When we wake up, before we start our day, or throughout the day, before we go to bed, is this a natural Instinct as eating is a natural instinct. Oh, I forgot to eat all day. Don't forget that. You have a natural instinct, right? To eat. Oh, I forgot to read. Such thing as I forgot the word of God. As a baby desires pure milk, I ought to desire the pure word of God. And as milk is a form of nourishment that leads to growth. To an infant, to a baby, physical nourishment, physical growth. Once we see God's word and we begin to find nourishment in Christ, our spiritual appetite begins to increase. And we begin to grow and we begin to mature, right? As a baby, the desire, the pure milk, and and, and the more they have it, the more they have it, what happens? start to grow and they start to walk. Now it's no longer just milk. start to eat. Substance have grown, and once me and you, we start to seek God's word, we begin to find nourishment in Christ. We're growing richly in Christ. Our spiritual appetite is no longer for milk, but we have that natural instinct, and we begin to grow and mature in our lives. And in like manner as that baby is eager, so should a believer be eager to read and to listen to God's word. We we ought to have a natural. We ought to be eager. To read and spend time with God daily check this one out and to go to church go to church not just to have a desire to read it at home we ought to be eager to what go to church to spend time with God and go to church what did we read last week in Psalms Psalms 27 verse 4 one thing the psalmist said David one thing I have desired of the Lord and that I will seek just one not many And that one thing, I'm going to seek it, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What am I inquiring of? of? Word of God, that I may grow thereby. We ought to come to church. We ought to read this book daily. As a baby desires and is eager for milk, we ought to be eager and desiring of the word of God. The desire and hunger for God's word is caused by experiencing his love firsthand. A different uh, version of verse 3, if you read verse 3, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, meaning you come to God and you desire of him as the baby desires milk, and the different translation says you do this because you have tasted that the Lord is kind. That makes me want to ask myself, have I really tasted the love and kindness of God? Because if I'm not, if I don't have a natural instinct and a desire to read His Word, then maybe I haven't experienced His goodness. Maybe I haven't experienced His kindness. Maybe I haven't experienced His love for me because I would desire to spend time with Him. I would desire to spend time with the believers, with the church, with the gathering, the ecclesia. And if that is lacking, then have I really experienced His goodness, His kindness, His love? Because it says you do this because you have tasted that the Lord is kind. Meaning, if I have not done this, maybe I have not tasted. Tasted means to discover by experience. If I have ice cream, I'm eating ice cream, I said, have some, taste it. I discovered it by my personal experience. Psalms 34 verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, that looks good. Oh, it's not, it's not a... Good enough just, just for you to see it, brother, sister. You have to taste it. To have some of it. It's not going to do you justice. Right? You don't just look at pictures on social media and you say that restaurant looks awesome and good and you gather the family. Let's look at all the pictures. That was awesome. And you never go? We need to go. We need to taste it and see. We need to experience firsthand. And until you do that, guess what? You come back from. If there is no growing thereby if there's no natural instinct for the word of God Peter is saying you're gonna do this this is a direct result because you have tasted the Lord's kindness because you have tasted the Lord's goodness because you have tasted the Lord's love I mean you have that natural instinct for the word right that's the first point that we are to lay aside we are to lay aside these things second point of tonight verse four we are to come to him. We are to come to him. What does it say in verse 4? Coming to him as to a living stone. Rejected indeed, my men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, how are we to live above reproach amid persecution? How are we to honor God with our lives amid persecution? We must first lay aside. Secondly, we are to come to him. How are we to come to him? It says we are to come to him, a living stone. We are to come, me and you, to worship a living God. It doesn't say a dead stone. No, it says a living stone, right? We are to come to worship a living God, a living stone. And what does it say about this living stone? Rejected indeed by men. You guys remember the life of Jesus, his three and a half years of ministry. Jesus was rejected by many of his own people, but then it says, What although he was rejected by men, verse 4, but chosen by God and precious, chosen by God and precious. Matthew 13, verse 57. So they were offended at him, Jesus, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Jesus said, I have honor everywhere now, everywhere else. Why come to Jerusalem? I step into my house and my own brothers deny me, my own brothers and my own family and my own people, which I can reject me. And Peter is saying, well, he was rejected by his own, but he's chosen by God and precious. And we are to come to God a living stone, a living God. And then he says, what? You also, verse five, are living stones, not just God, but me and you also, we are living stones, it says. We are being built up a spiritual house. Look at these adjectives. Living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Look at these adjectives, how Peter describes me, only living stones, right? A spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To do what? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now Peter compares the body of Christ, the believer's meat, but temple, living stones. Back then, the temple, the church, was built with stones, right? Not wood, not drywall stones. And, it, and he's going to compare now the, the temple where, where you gather to meet with the Lord, the body of Christ, with the temple. And he says, the result of us coming to Christ, as it says in verse 4, coming to Him, the result of us coming to Christ is that he makes us a spiritual house. That's, that's what takes place as we come to him daily. Because our natural instinct is the word of God. As the babies is to milk, the direct result of seeking the Lord that way is that he'll make us one, a spiritual house. We are living stones in the church. God does not live in a physical building. What does 1 Corinthians 15 say? Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Yes, yes, we are. We ourselves are God's temple. But if we're not gathering, if we're not meeting, then we're just different parts of a building scattered. What good is it to have a wall over here and a door over there as a part of the temple? And, and, and unless you bring it together, unless you gather the body and the temple together, then it becomes a temple. So yes, me and you are the body of Christ. But we're not called to be scattered. We're called to, as, as the word he... Ecclesia means the calling out or the gathering, right? And then it says what? Not only is a direct result of coming to Christ that we're a spiritual house, but also another result of coming to him is that he makes us a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. What does that even mean? You guys remember in the Old Testament that the priest would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people for worship and for forgiveness of sins, right? In the Old Testament, you would take your family, you would go uh, to the temple or the tabernacle, and you would bring your sacrifice, your lamb. And if you didn't have money, you'd bring a pigeon or a dove and you'd give it to the, the priest that here's the animal of sacrifice as an offering of worship or of forgiveness for me and my family. What would they do with it? They'd inspect it. At Sick, right? That it didn't have some type of infirmity before they can offer it to God as worship or a, as a sacrifice for forgiveness of sin. But what is Peter saying here? That, that, that we are now a holy priesthood. See, God replaced the altar with Jesus and the priest with us. It's no longer a physical altar, the altar is Jesus, and we no longer go to priest, but the royal priesthood is now us. And as the priest in the Old Testament came to the altar, me and you are to come to the altar, which is now Jesus Christ. Our bodies, and, and, and what are we to offer? If Christ is the altar, if me and you are the priesthood, what are the sacrifices? Well, he says it, he Says uh, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because of all that he has done for you, let them be a holy sacrifice. Not an almost holy, but a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now think about this, if the priests in the Old Testament, if they had to inspect the dove, the pigeon, the lamb, and they inspect it thoroughly, if it had any type of defect or blemish or infirmity, they can no longer offer it on the altar to God on behalf of that family. But what makes you think that if our bodies are now the sacrifices that we can come to the altar of Jesus, and offer it however we want? He replaced the altar with Jesus. He replaced the priest with us, and the sacrifices is our bodies. What does Paul say? How are we to offer them? Give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a holy sacrifice how are we coming to the to the altar of jesus how are we offering our bodies and our lives only if they're holy only if the lamb was holy the priest would accept it only if our bodies and our lives are holy then it says that these are the kind that he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him jesus god and then it says what in verse six Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he who, be- he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner. Stone, verse 8 a stone of stumbling a rock of offense a rock of offense God is the cornerstone of the church is the head of the body the head of the church not government not a pastor Christ is the head of the body Christ is the head of the church right and, and then it goes into Old Testament prophecy Isaiah verse 28 16 it says so this is what the sovereign Lord says See, I lay a stone in Zion, or Mount Zion, which Jerusalem laid upon. So in other words, Jerusalem, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. It says in the New International Version, or here as we read it in verse 6, will by no means put shame. What's a cornerstone? It's the chief chief foundation uh, upon which something is constructed. Today it would be a huge beam, not a stone, but a big beam into which all the other beams are constructed and put together that hold the building together. Well, Christ is the cornerstone. He's the main beam that holds the church and the body together. Not only does he hold it together, he's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. And it says that, that, that he's the cornerstone, meaning the chief foundation, upon which something is constructed. And that brings up the question, has he become my cornerstone? Has he become your cornerstone? And do you come to him, as Peter says? Coming to him, coming to the cornerstone. Because we're living. We're also beams, but we're coming to the main beam, the main cornerstone that holds the body together the head of the body, the head of the temple, has he become your cornerstone, your chief foundation upon which you construct your life, upon which you construct your devotional your everyday life. Why is he the chief cornerstone? Because he's completely trustworthy. Therefore, he should be our sure foundation. What else does it say about him? Verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, and we'll continue reading, says what Oh, Jesus, the cornerstone, that to us who believe in him, to believers, he is precious. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, he will keep you safe, but to Israel and to Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Let's read verse 7 and 8 again. Therefore, to you who believe he's precious, and yes, he is that to us, Jesus, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected. Who are the builders? Weren't the Pharisees and Sadducees the theological leaders at the time of the Jewish law? Weren't they supposed to be the builders of the church? But well, what did they do? The builders. The builders rejected the cornerstone. They did away with him. But it says here, To you who believe he's precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the stone upon which the temple and the church and the body is constructed, chief cornerstone which was rejected, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To me and you, he's precious, Peter is saying. But to those who are disobedient, what is he to them? A rock of offense. People stumble and fall after their continuous rejection. Maybe you have found ourselves there before, right? A continuous rejection, a continuous uh, a disobedience. We stumble, fall. know what's also a continuous disobedience, rejection, not laying aside, not coming to him. I'm not going to lay aside these things. I'm not going to to his word as a babe does to pure milk. I'm not going to see him. I'm not going to come to him as in coming to the church, the ecclesia. But what happens? Instead of him becoming precious to me, I find that he starts to become tumbling, a rock of offense in how I live. To those, it doesn't say, look what it says. Look what it says in verse 7. You precious. But to those who don't believe, oh. No. What does he say? To those who are disobedient not to those who don't believe, to those who are disobedient, to them, the stumbling rock, or a stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. Rock of offense, right? So we are to lay aside, we are to come to him, and then lastly, Peter is going to say, we are to proclaim. If we are going to run the race, we are going to, live godly if we are going to live above reproach amid the persecution we're going to lay aside we are going to come to him and lastly we are going to proclaim we are to proclaim what does it say in verse 9 but you but you as opposed to those that are disobedient church me hi you scattered church in asia that are going through persecution you and i who happen to go through persecution but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Says verse 10. Who were once not a people but are now a people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. What does Peter say here? You, but you, as opposed to those that are, as opposed to those who Christ has become a stumbling rock and a stone of offense, As opposed to them, you who Christ is precious. To you who come to him as living stones. To you who lay aside. To you, you have been given a title and a position in Christ now. A title and a position in Christ. And what is that position? It says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You're a chosen generation in this perverse world. A chosen generation in this perverse world. You are a royal priesthood. We, we, we discussed that. What does that mean? If we're the priesthood, what are, what are we to come to? To Christ, the altar. What are we to offer? Our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. This is our only reasonable service. This is our only reasonable worship and sacrifice to Him. So we're given a position in Christ, and that means that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That means that if I'm not living holy before and after, that means I'm part of this. If I'm not laying aside, if I'm not coming to him, we're, we're not only a royal priesthood, we're not only a holy nation, we're also his own special God of the universe, we're his own special people. But what does that come with? Position What's our position in Christ. If you're if you have a position at work and you're giving a different position or you are promoted to a new position, what comes with that position? Responsibility, right? Or new responsibility. We have a position and a title in Christ, and it's these things a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. His own special people. And with our position, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to proclaim. The third point, that we are to proclaim. That is our responsibility. Proclaim is to announce, to declare. And he's going to tell us what are we to declare. He says here that you are to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. What are we to proclaim? We are to proclaim, we are to declare, we are to announce what God has done in our lives. The praises of him who called you out of darkness, the light, our testimony, the gospel. Our position and title gives us responsibility and our our responsibility is to proclaim. We are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. To announce and to declare what God has done in our life. But let me tell you this church tonight. That proclaiming is much more than by... Most of our proclaiming comes by our lifestyle. Proclaiming means to announce and to declare. And that gives us the picture, the vivid picture of opening our mouth. Maybe with a microphone or speaker, but proclaiming has a lot more to do than we say with our mouth. Because oftentimes we do a lot more proclaiming with how we live. Because listen to this and write this down. If your life does not have a testimony, then your testimony won't have life. If your life, my life, as, I, as they see it at work, as they see it at home, as they see it outside of a church, if it does not have a testimony of a transformed Christian and a believer, then my testimony, when I proclaim it with my mouth, it's not going to have life. No one's going to believe it. We are to proclaim the praises of God who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. How do you do that? Yes. Yes, we open our mouth. We have a responsibility to do so. How are we proclaiming it day by day as how we live? Because oftentimes, oftentimes we destroy with our life that which we proclaim with our mouths. Oftentimes we destroy with our life that which we proclaim with our mouth. God is holy. God is righteous. God is this, and I serve Him, and I do this, and I do that, and I do other. Then I look at their life, and they life, and they listening to that music. They're laughing at that joke. All of us workplace at home with family how are we to proclaim yes with our mouth but also with our life because our life is what we're offering as spiritual sacrifice holy and acceptable to Christ and then what does he say in verse 10 and you you who are given this position you who are given this title you who are given this responsibility to proclaim you are now or oh, you were naughty people but are now a people of God because you've been born again. Who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. You've now obtained it because you didn't reject and disobey the cornerstone, but it says that you came to him, and to you he's precious. And because you lay aside, right? So we are now under the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. Because we're able to proclaim and announce our testimony and also live it out. Because we first laid aside. Because we are coming to him. Then, just what in verse 11 and 12, as we continue reading, beloved, beloved. I'm asking you to proclaim by your life and by your spirit. Given a position in Christ. And with that position comes this responsibility to proclaim. Thinking about what you are there to proclaim. Now in verse 12, beloved, I beg you as soul-journers, as pilgrims, as people who are just passing by, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable amongst Gentiles, that when they speak evil, or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter reminds them, and he reminds us tonight, that we are not of this world. We are not of this world. And I, I I like that he mentions that after the fact that he's we've been given a position a position and a title in Christ with that position the responsibility to proclaim but then he goes in, he goes into verse eleven and twelve and he says but, but if you're going to proclaim the you're living honorable you better be living in proper context amongst the Why does he say the Gentiles? Because we're in church right now amongst believers. How easy it is to live honorable, very. Right? He exhorts them to live in purity and resist the desires of the flesh, which destroy the soul. What does he say there? I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts, which war against the soul. A war. It's a battle. Right. No one said it was going to be to come to or to lay aside. It's a constant war. It's a constant war against the soul, against the flesh. Then we're given a formula in the book of James. A formula, James says, "Submit therefore to God. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil. That's two. Submit, resist. Draw near to God. Here's the answer to that formula. He will draw near to you. What happens? Submit to God. Resist the devil. And what? Is And I'll draw near to God, and God's going to draw near to me. Peter is saying, what? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Verse 12, what does he say? Different translations. Be careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Live properly among your coworkers. Properly among unbelieving family. Properly among officials and government. A witness, careful to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. You know what he's saying? They're going to see your life that's above reproach, that's above disapproval, that's above disappointment. That when they see our lives, our honorable behavior, which is above reproach, they will have no choice. But to give honor to God when he comes and judges the world. I have nothing to say about God when I see it. Not only proclaim with their mouth, but to live it with their life. That they're holy and righteous. Desire to honor God. And offer their bodies a holy sacrifice. Altar which is. They live up to their purpose. That they've been in their position in Christ. As a royal priest. a holy nation. His special people. I have no other option than when Christ comes to judge the world. I could only give him glory. His own special people, real priests, his precious have rightly lived and represented him, right? Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works. And Look what it says I love this, I love this word which they observe. You know that when you Tell them that you're on church, that you can't be with them at a certain time because you have a commitment. You know that people are observing? One thing to watch or to look or to see, there's a different thing to observe, right? People are observing, observing. I've been, I, I've gone out to eat dinner with the pastor and with Albert, sitting at a table and dinner publicly amongst people who I don't know. It's happened where we're talking. People behind us gets quiet, completely quiet. We don't know we don't we don't know that because we're talking. Then it's happened where they come around and they say, I heard you very incredible. I say that to say this, that people are observing. I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. You better watch what you're proclaiming with your mouth. You better watch how you're proclaiming with your life at work and everything are people going to have something to say against whom precious to us when he comes the day of visitation or the day that he judges the world or because of our life and because we lay aside and because we come to him because we are proclaiming these are they going to because of their observation glorify God in the day of visitation are they going to be glorify God in the day About this, when you drop your kids off right at school, here at church in their classroom, or you or you let someone at them come and pick them up, you're you're praying on the way to pick them up, and I hope they have something to say good about me, right? How did they behave? Oh, they're awesome! You're an awesome parent. How 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 do you teach them to be so well mannered? And what about the coming of Christ when he comes to his for his own special people? His royal priest, for those of us that come to him that are called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and light, how much more are people? Getting? How they lived honorably, they lived righteous, they lived holy, their bodies were in holy sacrifice. God and God. They have no other choice but to give him honor and glory as a God. God comes in the day of his because they observe, observed you, they're able to glorify you. So what is Peter? Persecution was already coming to that church. You look around, our local government and broader government here in California and in our country, persecution is coming to the church in America. It already exists everywhere else. But if we are going to live honorably If we are going, if we are going to live above reproach, we are to lay aside, we are to come to Him, we are to proclaim. Disappointments and discouragement—they're not an excuse for disobedience. Church, careful, careful that you don't just that which your mouth. Pray. Let's do one last song. Lord, we thank you so much, God, for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your word, God, which is powerful, sharper than any sword. We're thankful, Lord, for the encouragement and exhortation that we give Lord, by Peter. That amid the persecution going on, Lord, that we wouldn't bend our convictions, that we wouldn't bend our righteousness, Lord, but that we would continue to lay aside that we continue to come to you and that we can proclaim. Help us, Lord, to offer our bodies for you. Pray for our pastor and Micah, Lord, that you would protect them tonight bring them on Sunday. God, and we pray that you would bring us, having heard tonight, that you would bring us with excitement. We would want to spend time in your word as a natural instinct Because we have tasted that the Lord is good. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.